Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In a few weeks, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'll be hearing the first confessions for those who will be baptized into the church on Holy Saturday morning. And in preparation for his baptism, we're observing all these weeks of the Lenten fast. That's why we do fast, is to help prepare these people for baptism. But I'll be hearing their confessions. We've already started doing the exorcisms. First question I will ask each of these folks, be baptized, as we go through the commandments and consider all the possibilities for sin. First question I will ask is, have you ever made the Faustian pact? Because the Faustian pact, it seems to me, is the most radical form of sin. It's manifestly a sin against the first commandment. But I consider it also the most typically modern sin. And that's why it's mainly in modern times that it's been elaborated in literature. Christopher Marlowe, Goethe, Robert Louis Stevenson. The modern world appears to me to have a great divide. It's either St. Paul or Faust. St. Paul, writing of charity, in the 13th chapter of the first epistle to the Corinthians, says that love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is expressed then by faith, hope, and patience. Now this is what the modern world cannot endure, is faith, hope, and patience. And Faust was speaking for the entire modern world when he said, Flug sei der Hoffnung, Flug dem Glauben, und Flug vor allen der Geduld. Cursed be hope, cursed be faith, but above all, cursed be patience. Now, during Lent, when we get back to the basics, and this, is, this morning is a sermon about the basics. During Lent, we should concentrate on faith, hope, and patience. Now, let's do that with respect to this morning's reading from the Epistle to the Hebrews. Let's talk, first of all, about faith. This first chapter of Hebrews and into the second chapter is all about 
Christ as the object of our faith. The author spends quite a bit of time in chapters 1 and 2 talking about Christ at the beginning. Christ is the archi. Christ is the beginning even of creation. And this morning, the epistle reading began with a quotation from Psalm 101. You, Lord, in the beginning, and our key, you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Now, who is that Lord that's being addressed? Look closely in first chapter of Hebrews. The Lord that's being addressed, and it was very clear this morning, the Lord is being addressed is Jesus. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands, the hands of Christ, the hands of Christ, who is the ho'on, the one who is. This is the inscription from the burning bush, isn't it? This is the, the voice from the burning bush, ho'on. These are the hands that farmed the world. This line from Psalm 101 is addressed to Christ as the agent of creation. Somewhat earlier in this chapter, the author wrote of Christ as the one through whom God made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Now, the early Christians, my brothers and sisters, were unable to think of Jesus as someone added to creation. That's a very, very modern idea, even modern among Christians, that Jesus is sort of tacked on in history, but he has nothing to do with creation. The New Testament repudiates that page after page. The early Christians believed that in Jesus was revealed the true meaning of creation because Jesus is the word in whom all things were made. Several places in the New Testament provide starting points for a Christocentric cosmology, but I suppose that 2 Corinthians will do as well as any. God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness. Beginning of creation, right? First day. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the knowledge, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So when God says, Yahi Or, he's putting the light of intelligibility into all creation. In this text, we observe that Paul identifies the creator in Genesis as the same God whose light shines out on the face of Christ. Now, it is Paul's thesis that this very light of creation is disclosed on the face of Christ. You know he's not talking about the sun. I mean, for heaven's sakes, the sun's not created until Wednesday. 
what is that, three or four days after, I can't remember, I'm not good at math, but Sunday, he creates the light. Doesn't create the sun or the heavenly bodies until Wednesday. That's not, certainly not the light of the sun he's talking about. What, what is he talking about? St. Paul contends that it is through Christ that the mysterious and otherwise invisible light of creation is made manifest. And where is it made manifest? St. Paul says, in our hearts. The knowledge of God in Christ reveals this life in our hearts. That's not just an idea proper to St. Paul or to the Epistle of the Hebrews. It is with reference to Christ, too, that St. John asserts in his own treatment on cosmology. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. John then agrees with Moses about the light of creation. The modern world does not believe this. The modern world believes in a big bang. It's going to end in a big bang. I think that's probably true. But the big bang is mainly taking place in their heads. There's got to be something prior to a big bang. There'll be something there to bang. I won't deny there's a big bang back someplace, you know. The world, I've heard plenty of big bangs myself, you know. But they believe in chaos. They believe in chaos. And the chaos is in their minds. It's a denial of reason. Because if there is no rationality in creation itself, there's no rationality in anything created, including the mind. So why should I trust it? Especially the mind of those who believe that there is no rationality. That one really is a, a, a circle of viciosis. That's a, a, a vicious circle. They go round and round and round. But you see, people who believe that have no faith. See, but what's the first quality of faith according to the epistle of the Hebrews? We know that God is, and he is rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed what? Why about what? But if people believe that about the beginning, what must they believe about the end? They have no hope. Those without faith also have no hope. And that brings us to the second, the first thing at least, that Goethe cursed was hope. Hope. Fluk der Hoffnung. St. Paul says that Love, charity, hopes all things. Now, if faith touches Christ at the beginning, hope touches Christ at the end. This morning's reading from the Epistle of the Hebrews cited Psalm 109, 110 in the Hebrew text. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Hear that word until? That word until is absolutely crucial. This is another psalm that our, 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 our author reads as pertaining to Christ. Christ's current state, so to speak, 
can be summed up with the preposition until. Now that until expresses our hope. Our author goes on in the second chapter to explain, but now yet we do not see as yet, he says, we do not see as yet all things put under him. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, if all things have been created in Christ, we also believe that they will be perfected in Christ. We believe that the processes of history are producing what the epistle to the Ephesians calls the fullness of Christ. Because Christ is going to return at the end of the world, at the end of time, and all things will put, be put in subjection under his feet. We look forward to this with ardent longing. This truth of our faith is contained in the final article of our faith. And I await the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Last part of our creed. I await the resurrection from the dead and the life of the world to come. Faustian man, having no faith in the beginning, has no hope for the end. Charity, however, believes all things, and therefore it hopes all things. And thirdly, patience. Charity endures all things. Above all, says Faust, cursed be patience. And this is what the modern world has no use for at all. Absolute instant gratification with no thought for tomorrow. If you, if you look at the commercials for medicines, it's instant relief. Instant relief. Uh, I noticed all the, not just, not just commercials, also vacuum cleaners, everything. It, it has to happen very quickly. It has to be now. It's the religion of now. If American religion has any faith, and if it has any hope, I see very little evidence that it has much patience. We want instant sanctification. Tend to service, get turned on, the Holy Spirit comes down, you're saved instantly, Holy Spirit's poured out upon you instantly, everything happens at once. You see, that kind of religion is simply the mirror religion of its culture, which is an instantaneous culture. Our author says this morning, on the other hand, the author of the Hebrews, Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. Now, there's how patience expresses itself. In the cultivation of attention, therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard. And what have we heard? What have we heard? You see, everybody here knows enough to get to heaven. We've already heard it. All the information is available to us. 
I'm not saying there are no obscure parts of theology, but the basics, what uh, the Epistle of the Hebrews calls the fundamental principles of Christ, the expression that he uses in chapter 6, the fundamental principles of Christ, we know all about it. This theme is developed in chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews, where the author comments on Psalm 94, or 95 in Hebrew. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. He goes on to comment on that. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another daily, not just weekly. I was explaining to the people in Cleveland last Sunday night, I was talking about St. Gregory Palamas, whose memory we celebrate today. St. Gregory Palamas preached every day when he became the Archbishop of Thessaloniki. Every single day. Why does St. Gregory Palamas preach every single day? Because that has always been the rule in the Orthodox Church. Daily sermons are the rule in the Orthodox Church. Have been from the beginning. The canons of the church all say this. This is why John Chrysostom preached every day. Why Cyril of, of uh, Jerusalem, probably Cyril of Alexandria, preached every day. This is why Alexander Men preached every day. This is, this is the rule. Now we have priests who actually do vesper services during the week and don't preach. And you actually got the congregation together. Priests should never should be preaching every time two people get together. Or one. That would be, that would be sufficient. But in our, in our own lives, we exhort one another daily. We must constantly be coming back to this daily exhortation to basics. One of the things I love about the sermons of, of St. Gregory Palamas is no one, except for his sermons on the except for his sermons for the Feast of Transfiguration, no one would ever take him to be a Palamite. He doesn't talk about that lofty kind of theology. He talks about, hey, fellas, you've got to give up fornication and stop that drinking while you're at it, and no more fighting. That's the sort of thing, the basics. You do it every day. To live in Christ is to live in a present reality, a today. And what is required of us today? To give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, to give the more earnest heed. Now, what is required in the now, my brothers and sisters, is the ascetical labor of attention, learning to pay attention. Hebrews sends us back to the basics. We pay attention to the basics, okay? There was a story, I've told you this story before, but we have new people here who haven't heard it of the sea captain. Every morning he came out, came up onto the quarter deck, reached in his pocket, he pulled out a little piece of paper. He held the little piece of paper and he studied it for several minutes. Then he put the little piece of paper back in his pocket and went on for the day. Years later, when the old sea captain died, the first mate was very curious about what was written on that paper. He pulled it out and it said, starboard right, port left. (laughs) Starboard right, port left. 
Every single day, he orientated himself. We've got to return always to basics. Which way is up? I know plenty of people who call themselves Christians, and they don't live as they know, as though they know which way is up. It's that way. It's not this way. If I want to, uh, if I want to go to Kansas City, I don't know why I would, but if I wanted to go to Kansas City, <laughs> why would I get on a bus that's headed for Detroit? If you ask Christians if they want to go to heaven. They say yes. Then why aren't you going in that direction? Don't you know which way is up? Therefore, brethren, we must give, he says, the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we slip away. Day by day, we keep coming back with patience. Holiness will not be attained in a short time. Difficult for it to be attained even over a long period, but it won't be attained in a short time. Because hope, pardon me, charity, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Faith, hope, and patience, the three things cursed by the man who sells his soul to the devil, to Faust. These are the things to which we most adhere because they will bring us to God. 